welcome back to the Food for Thought podcast. With us on this special bonus episode is returning guest Maggie Slowick, Global Industry Director for Manufacturing at IFS. In today's episode, we're continuing the conversation we started last November about how the pandemic has changed the game for food and beverage manufacturers. We kick things off talking about the pandemic's ripple effect and lessons learned so far. We peel back a few more layers about how supply chain issues are continuing to affect food and beverage processors, with Maggie explaining the supply shock and demand shock the industry has experienced in the last couple of years. We dig a little bit deeper into the new competitive landscape for food and beverage manufacturers and how information-hungry consumers are helping to shape new product innovation. We cap things off talking about supply chain disruption, labor issues, and the role technology is playing in food and beverage companies' digital transformation journey, making sure to highlight how IFS's digital solutions are helping manufacturers across the globe each and every day. Enjoy the episode. Maggie, welcome to the special bonus episode of the Food for Thought podcast. Let's jump right in. We heard a lot about the food and beverage industry across the media in the last 24 months. It's an industry that was very much shaken up, but some would argue that the food and beverage industry came out as one of the winners in the pandemic. Would you agree with that? And could you give us a view of what happened? Hi, Erin, and thank you so much for having me back on your podcast. Really pleased to, to be here. First of all, Erin, um, some of the folks listening in today might be wondering, why on earth are we still talking about the pandemic? Well, the reason being is that it's still very much present. We are still seeing the ripple effect, and there are some important lessons learned. But also, it was a big force, often for the better, I would argue, so I just wanted to say that because sometimes people say they are bored of talking about the pandemic, it's still very much present, and it's certainly been a big force of, of magnitude. But back to manufacturing and what we're talking about um, today. Well, manufacturing as an industry at large was very much shaken up by the pandemic. Um, I'd like to say that unlike previous supply chain disruptions, such as, for example, the 2011 floods in Thailand, remember that? they were very much more localized and they lasted a relatively short amount of time. And by the way, previous disruptions mostly impacted supply, not necessarily demand at the same time. Now, COVID-19, however, has been a truly global event impacting both demand as well as supply at the same time. So I see a multitude of shocks here. Let's talk about the first one, which I would call the supply shock. What exactly do I mean by that? Well, especially in 2020, but also throughout 2021, factories had to either be shut down or restrict access to the workplace to prevent the virus from spreading, right? Equally, there were restrictions on modes of transportation, including road, rail, and air. And the other shock that we saw was a demand shock. And uh, due to the overall insecurity and bias finances getting worse, as well as sales, whether on the B2C or B2B side, sales really plummeted worldwide. Last but not least, there was what I would call a workforce shock. Now, that was particularly 
bit of a shock for manufacturing companies because you cannot just send your workers in factories home and have them work from there, right? So these shocks really demonstrate the true ripple effect of the pandemic. And to add to that, the pandemic really exposed many manufacturing supply chains weaknesses. However, I will also add that the food and beverage industry was a very special case. Now, think about your own behavior, Aaron, as a consumer. Panic buying during the pandemic. And overnight, consumers' homes turned into the new workplace, a gym, a restaurant, a cafe, the list goes on and on. In other words, consumers' homes became a central place for food consumption. So food and personal care sales went completely off the charts. Now, imagine what did that do to forecasting and planning within manufacturing organizations? Forecasting is already a huge challenge for food and beverage companies, given seasonality, weather, and external events. So the demand spikes that these producers saw, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, that's what I would call a planner's worst nightmare. Now, what I just described are those food and beverage customers selling to essential retail. But those food and beverage companies that are most reliant on the channel, in other words, on restaurants, on hospitality, movie theaters, and, and the like, they got the short end of the stick, and they no longer could sell to these customers due to closures. Now, think of a chocolate maker, just, to, just to, to mention an example. A chocolate maker not being able to sell to movie theaters any longer, they really took a huge revenue plunge. So who were the true winners in the pandemic? Well, I would argue those companies who were selling to retail, essential retail, that is but also those food and beverage producers who could sell directly to their end consumers via other sales channels like Amazon, for example. But that required a lot of agility and the investment in online commerce technologies. Now, let's see, who else managed to succeed? Well, I'd say those companies who could quickly come up with new products addressing the needs of, of, the, of the new homebound consumer. And I will give you an example. One of our customers specializes in the manufacturing of dairy and whey nutrition, selling mostly to distributors and gyms, which of course were also closed during the pandemic, especially at the beginning of 2020. But the pandemic made this particular company switch to protein snacks, which could be sold via online channels. So again, overall the industry has really flourished during the pandemic. I will also add, though, that sort of younger and smaller players in the space, um, they were very creative with their sales and marketing strategies, venturing into new channels. And, and a big reason for that is that these smaller players, they tend to be digital native companies, so they have a lot more agility than their bigger counterparts. Can you talk about the new competitive landscape? Food and beverage is a very competitive market. Has it become even more competitive? This is really fascinating because the pandemic has led to a lot of product innovation in the market. Take a note of that as you walk through the aisles of your local grocery store next time. Really, it's mesmerizing. And just to give an example, think of plant-based milk substitutes. Do you pick oat milk, soy milk, hemp milk, coconut, cashew? I'm sure I missed a few here, or whatever have you milk. 
And another major trend here is the emergence of direct-to-consumer brands. What does direct-to-consumer mean? Well, essentially this is a vertically integrated brand, so a manufacturing company that produces in its very own facility as well as distributing products within its very own channels. And these channels may be an e-commerce platform, social media, and, and its own retail store. The point is they can reach consumers directly without a distributor, a retailer, or another middleman. Now, in food and beverage, we saw a lot of subscription-based meal kits or recipe box providers popping up, similar to the likes of Gusto, HelloFresh, and, and Simply Cook. I mean, again, the list goes on and on. And they were all catering to the, to the convenience of the consumer without necessarily compromising the freshness and the quality of those ingredients. And in fact, um, Gusto, which is a UK-based company, they were founded way before the pandemic, by the way. Um, but they were one of the fastest-growing food and beverage companies in 2020 with a two-year compound annual growth rate of 89%. I mean, just imagine this growth rate. So to sum that up, a big trend is to cater towards convenience via dedicated direct-to-consumer channels, but with an even greater focus on fresh ingredients and customized amounts, which makes it incredibly <laughs> difficult from a planning perspective, as I already talked about before. Hence, you need a technology-enabled approach. As we all know, consumers have a lot of power in the food and beverage space. What are the demands of the consumer on the industry, and has anything changed? Well, Wow, consumers have always been a strong driving force in food and beverage, right? Literally dictating the pace and the direction of change. And over the past years, consumers have become what I would call information-hungry and, and quite influential. If they don't like something, they're willing to go to all sorts of social media platforms to voice their opinion. Now, during the pandemic, consumer attitudes have continued to evolve. People have had a lot of time in their homes to think about their food choices and nutritional habits and become more willing than ever to try new products and even embrace the use of science in food production. I already talked about new product innovation um, that is very much visible in today's grocery stores. But we're also seeing more and more proliferation and the emergence of alternatives, often away from the traditional protein sources like meat and fish and dairy to more towards plant or cell-based alternatives. So there's a lot of focus on not only new product innovation, but also customization. And this goes back to my earlier example of plant-based milk substitutes. There are so many to choose from. We also saw an increased focus on sustainability credentials and as such greater transparency across the entire journey of products, meaning from the sourcing of raw materials to production, and, and of course all the way to the distribution of these products to its final destination. And this is actually something that I would like to highlight as being incredibly important in food and beverage, you know, the, the need to be able to drive transparency transparency and, and, and traceability. Uh, it's important to have these traceability capabilities and these traceability capabilities in place. And that is in fact something that I talked about in a in a previous podcast. 
Another growing trend is sustainable packaging, driven by, as you can imagine, regulatory pressure, but equally by consumers and retailers nowadays. And big food conglomerates like, like Nestle and Kraft Heinz have, have already committed to using only recyclable, reusable, or compostable packaging by 2025. So quite big, bold statements by, by these food companies and here's the interesting thing, actually. These companies recognize sustainability as an issue that provides value to their customers who are willing to pay a premium for products they believe support environmental sustainability. There's actually a lot of evidence for that. It depends, of course, on the, on the food category, on, on the location of the consumer, etc. But um, there is certainly a rising willingness to pay a premium for sustainability credentials in food and beverage, and, and I think that's uh, just a, a testament of how the, um, how the consumer has um, evolved um, over time. There's been a lot of talk about supply chain disruption lately. How much did the food and beverage industry get impacted by that? Well, as I've already highlighted, the food and beverage industry has been heavily impacted by the ripple effect of the pandemic. A big issue at the moment is certainly the volatility of commodity prices. Another big challenge are supply chain bottlenecks, especially around long-haul shipping. And at the heart of the problem is the shipping container itself. <laughs> I mean, it might sound ridiculous, but um, it has disrupted the delivery of everything from semiconductor chips, medical supplies, all the way to building materials, tires, etc., it's led to widespread manufacturing delays. And so widespread manufacturing delays and bottlenecks mean there simply aren't enough containers, shipping containers, in the right place and at the right time. Plus, there are too many containers at shipping terminals at the moment, clogging up ports and blocking more cargo from arriving. And these bottlenecks have led to an explosive increase in freight increases. The, the, the pricing of, of freight rates. And for manufacturers, this means that they are really struggling to find um, those empty containers they would normally use to send their products to customers abroad. And um, they're being forced into bidding wars to secure space on vessels, believe it or not. I recently had a conversation with a European potato chip manufacturer who told me that in order not to lose their shipping containers, they were, you ready for this? <laughs> They were at times shipping them empty around the world. I mean, just imagine shipping around empty containers. And, of course, this is very UK-specific, but um, this was brought about by, by, by Brexit, and uh, it has really caused a lot of headache around um, complex duty documentation for, for those UK um, operating food and beverage um, manufacturers. So it's just introduced another layer of complexity in, in doing business with the European counterparts. We hear of skills shortages across manufacturing. Did that become a big issue for food and beverage manufacturers? Mm, labor shortage definitely remains a big challenge in manufacturing. And in food and beverage especially, it continues to be a chronic problem. Some of our customers have told us that they are competing on talent with the likes of, <laughs> again, this is amazing, with the likes of Amazon or big retailers who are offering signing bonuses. So there's a big talent war going on as well. 
Again, in the UK, the labor shortage issue was further amplified by Brexit. I think that's um, sort of important to highlight. And, and all of a sudden, not having a big enough talent pool to, to draw from. And all of this is, of course, on top of the fact that manufacturing has been suffering a reputational problem. It's not an industry um, uh, that uh, sort of has it easy in terms of attracting the next generation of talent. Um, they're, they're sort of looking um, for more attractive jobs in marketing and finance, law, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, think of manufacturing still being seen as a, as a dirty type of industry. Saying that, we will see, I mean, there has to be a solution to, uh, to this labor skills crisis. Now, to help mitigate this dilemma, we will see an increasing appetite for automation technologies. Although I will also say that food and beverage companies are having to strike a good balance there because there is also a cost implication associated with automation technology and the potential expansion of your site, right? So that sort of has to be has to be balanced going forward. What is the role of technology in all of this? Are food and beverage manufacturers still digitally transforming? So there are quite a few elements to this, but I will start by saying that food and beverage companies, and if I was to make a broader inference even, consumer packaged goods companies, let's say, they, they have been known for being more digitally mature than other sub-industries in manufacturing. And, and that is mostly because their end consumer facing companies and are competing in incredibly competitive markets. The other thing to highlight is that digital transformation is not an end goal, but a continuous journey. And every company will need to make their own decisions as to which use cases make the most business sense when it comes to their technology investments. However, having digital capabilities in place means that food and beverage manufacturers can deal a lot better with the complex and quickly changing market environments that they are facing starting with new product development all the way to operational efficiencies and as well the, the complex supply chains that they are operating. And this is key to driving customer loyalty and competitive differentiation in the market. Now the other advantage of using digital technology is being able to engage more directly with your customers as well as end consumers improving forecasting and, and the ability to, to reach them at, at the right time and the right place, but also being able to better anticipate behavior and understand what these end consumers will demand next. And the last thing that I would like to highlight in this context is that the pandemic has really accelerated digital transformation journeys in manufacturing now I go back to the example of companies investing in digital direct-to-consumer sales channels to reach end consumers. And an iconic example here is Nespresso. You know, the company that makes the little coffee capsules sold typically in beautiful stores or franchises. And, and while these stores were closed down during big parts of 2020, Nespresso switched very quickly to an online presence to still be able to sell and reach these, these end consumers. I think it's just a really nice example of um, the agility um, that you can gain by investing in the right digital technology. How does IFS 
support food and beverage manufacturers in light of all of these market changes? Well, we have a very industry-specific solution, which has ERP at its core, but it also extends to asset management and service capabilities, which is important because every manufacturing organization has assets that need to be maintained and and serviced. And when I say industry-specific, we support all modes of manufacturing, whether it's make-to-stock, make-to-order, make-to-forecast, or combination of these. And this is just, you know, with a focus on food and beverage um, organizations, obviously. So, so one of our customers is, is Paka Pies, and um, they make these savory pies, for example, steak or chicken pies. And when they produce these pies, they can immediately sell them to their customers, but they can also decide to freeze them. So make them to stock if they really wanted to. So we give our customers that flexibility. So we offer a very comprehensive all-in-one solution that delivers key manufacturing modalities straight out of the box. And that also includes recipe management, yield management, traceability, as I mentioned it earlier, quality control, and very important shelf life and expiration dates. And our solution also has a very strong demand planning uh, capability to support our customers um, because we know how difficult that is. And in fact, we just released a new functionality called intraday or same-day planning where especially those fresh food manufacturers can fulfill an order um, the same day it comes in so that they are operating under very strict um, timelines. So we help those customers um, in in this very short amount um, uh, time, um, usually just a day, to make um, critical decisions and, 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 and take the right action. We're also constantly embedding innovation into our technology. For, for instance, we have added a weather forecast to our planning capabilities, and that is embedded with artificial intelligence to help correlate patterns of weather with demand patterns, and um, that has improved forecasting accuracy for, for our customers um, in, in remarkable ways. So we're investing in a lot of innovation for, for our sub-industries, um, food and beverage um, customers being uh, an important market for us. As we wrap up this special bonus episode, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share? For instance, what do you think will be the next big thing in the food and beverage industry? I think we will see an increased focus on justifying waste in the food and beverage industry, driven by regulations first and foremost, but also by other stakeholders, including retailers. In fact, I think that food and beverage companies will be pushed to account for the waste and find ways to bring it back into the production process. So you could call it, in a way, upcycling, which, which, um, which is a concept that is part of the circular economy, right? So, so, so in other words, food and beverage companies will experiment with repurposing food which would otherwise be wasted. Sounds strange? Well, a good example of that is Unilever's use of the ice cream that remains in its manufacturing lines when there is a changeover between products. So what used to be waste at one of Unilever's um, brands is turned into, believe it or not, quite a popular flavor. And this upcycled ice cream repurposes 160 metric tons of waste annually. And it's favored by consumers for sustainable nature. I think that's incredible. And 
I mean, it's, it's incredible and also a huge opportunity for food and, and beverage manufacturers to rethink their traditional ways of operating. But equally, and I already talked about this earlier, Aaron, it's, 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 it's an indicator of how consumers' preferences have evolved and continue to change quickly, and food and beverage companies have to be ahead of the game always. And, and this is um, sort of how I will wrap up. Um, you know, you, you really have to focus on, on, on your end consumer and, and be ahead of innovation or, you know, being able to, uh, to, to measure innovation as it unfolds. Maggie, thank you for being on this special bonus episode of the Food for Thought podcast. Thanks for having me. everyone listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.